Hello, and thank you for listening to Living Wealthy Radio, heard around the web on livingwealthyradio.com, iTunes, and Blog Talk Radio. I am Teresa Kuhn, helping you live wealthier. Resources are available for you at livingwealthyradio.com. Are you interested in cryptocurrencies or precious metals? Are you wondering what the meteoric rise of Bitcoin means for gold or silver? These are exciting times for investors in both traditional and digital coin, and it pays to understand the market factors before jumping in or significantly changing your investment portfolio. So what is the next big crypto to get involved with? Is Bitcoin a sure investment or will gold and silver remain the safest store of value in the digital age? While our guest, Chris Blase, is the president of Neptune Global Holdings and creator of the investment tool, the PMC Ounce. He is an expert in investment metals and maintains a healthy skepticism of cryptocurrencies. He's here to share with us trends to watch for this year with precious metals and how to evaluate the booming cryptocurrency market. Welcome to Living Wealthy Radio, Chris. Thank you, Teresa. Uh, It's great to be on. So you are an expert in investment metals, and actually you are really an expert. There are tons of people out there today that are talking about being experts in cryptocurrencies, and they just got in the market three months ago, right? And they made a ton of money. All of a sudden, they're up 100, 200, 500%, and they think they're brilliant. But you've really been involved with uh, cryptocurrencies or Bitcoin for a while. Well, uh, thanks, Teresa. And yeah, I've been involved in uh, really, we'll say, cryptocurrency in, in overall. And the, way, the reason I think that's important is because, you know, Bitcoin is just one of the cryptocurrencies, and Bitcoin has had a meteoric rise, which, you know, there's a, you know, people are very enamored by that and very excited. But the majority of cryptocurrencies, and there's literally hundreds, have failed. Um, and, of course, that's not talked about. You know, people want to, when you're in kind of a, you know, it's almost like a, you know, uh, a bubble, and in some respects, we can say it is in a bit of a bubble. Uh, Bitcoin is, you know, everyone is discarding and conveniently forgetting the tremendous number of failures. So, you know, cryptocurrency is more than just Bitcoin. And if Bitcoin is doing well, it doesn't mean that it's kind of safe for a person to just jump in any new, what they call ICO, initial coin offering, because unfortunately, most of them have not worked out. And that's an important mm. thing to keep in mind. So how did you get involved in this world? So Think I've been in that. the precious, you know, I've been in precious metals uh, since the start of this bull market in 2001. And Teresa, to be honest, I was always worked in, uh, you know, I worked in big technology and I also worked in traditional Wall Street, you know, with big, a big household name, broker dealer and the wealth and, um, you know, a merchant banking firm. And I was always a studier of macroeconomics. And in the late 90s, I saw what I believe my research told me that the precious metals were going to go into a secular bull market starting in the beginning of the new millennium. And that's what they did. And um, the, the bottom for, for gold, and we'll use gold as the, as the representative for precious metals, was in 2001. Um, the firm I started, Neptune Global, was started in 2001. And we made our first transaction at close to the bottom. So, um, that's why I got in this market, and I was so convinced that precious metals were going to go into a substantial secular bull market, which means a market that even though it has a, a bear market period, it's generally 20 to 25 years in duration, and it's playing out exactly as it was. And I was so convinced that it was going to be this dramatic market that I wanted to not just be an investor in the precious metals, but wanted to be actually run a firm. And that's what was the genesis for Neptune Global. And so what happened? So the, uh, now as far as we've been operating as a full service precious metals dealer since our inception, um, but then we took it to another level. You know, we, we developed a product called the PMC Ounce which has all the benefits of what we call the electronic trading world, the ease of trade of like an ETF, but with the actual ownership of physical bullion. 
And as opposed to just being in one or two of the metals, like gold or silver, we have a turnkey diversified product, which basically is designed and is proven to give a better risk-adjusted return. So, Teresa, basically for people that want to take that position in precious metals, and we believe everyone should, um, it is a cornerstone of a, of a portfolio, but the PMC ounce being that it's diversified, and we all know that within any asset class you should be diversified, um, we give that it has that extra benefit. So, again, we're a full-service precious metals dealer, and the PMC ounce is a big differentiator from us. Uh, we have a lot of its performance statistics on our website. And just not to walk away and, and forget, you know, because you brought up cryptocurrencies, when you're in the precious metals market, you have to understand and, and you should understand about cryptocurrencies because obviously a lot of people ask the question, is Bitcoin the new gold? And my, my answer to that is, no, it's not. I'm not saying that cryptocurrencies can't deliver a good return for investors, but they're not, they're actually the polar opposites of each other. Uh, physical precious metals and cryptocurrencies, except for being considered, we'll call assets that are not part of the, we'll call mainstream, even though I can argue with, about that regarding precious metals. But once you get past that, cryptocurrencies, digital money is not physical precious metals. So let's talk about precious metals for a moment um, sure. and set aside the crypto world. Precious metals in terms of prices, I witnessed that whole phenomena that happened from 2001 all the way up to, I don't, know, I don't remember my date. Um, 2012. 2012. I was about to say 2012. And the, the players... Um, towards the latter part of that, um, that totally manipulated the, the market. If precious metals was such a strong commodity, so to speak, why the ability to manipulate the prices? Because that's, sure. I think, my biggest concern with, when it comes to investing in metals. And I think everybody should have some metals, um, at least a portion of their portfolio, whether it be 5%, 8%, 10%, something in the physical, right? Um, yeah. But the price is manipulated completely and totally. So it is on the short term, but it can't stop the bigger trend. So two things. Think of this. A secular bull market, which is what we identified in the beginning of the millennium and which is playing out, as I mentioned, it runs 20 to 25 years, and they have three legs to them. The first leg up, and these are multi-year legs. And then the, the, the second leg is a multi-year bear market. And then the third leg is the biggest and most explosive. So if we step back, that first leg, which is bullish, went from 2001 to 2012, just as you remember. Then from 2012 to December 31st, literally the last day of 2015, was a three-year pullback. And the price retraced 50%, meaning the gain it went from 2001 to 2012, that gain was retraced 50%, which is textbook. And then beginning on January 1 of 2016, it resumed what we see as the third leg of this secular bull market. So if you really look back the last two years, a lot of people aren't aware, the precious metals have done very well for the last two years. Now, the interference you're talking about is true. There are times when they manipulate the price of gold by really, they're not sell, it's not the physical market, it's they're doing it in what they call the paper markets, right? the futures market, selling Correct. futures short. And of course, the physical market just takes its pricing cues from that. So my point is what they'll do is they're very good at breaking the spirit of investors, right? Gold starts to rise. It maybe breaks a resistance line. And then you'll see there's this paper, what they call a paper sell-off, and they knock the price down. Now, it's very good at manipulating metal prices on the short term, but it can't stop the bigger trend. So even though they are manipulating and they do it at such precise times that it does psychologically really damage the investor's psyche, but when you step back and look at the, bull, the secular bull market I talked about, first big leg up, second one down, third, that they're not able to stop, and that's still in play. So 
because the metals get manipulated in a bearish way where other people say the stock market could get manipulated to be always bullish, you know, an investor has to have a little more fortitude, right, and kind of realize that this stuff is taking place, but the bigger trend is still in play and that they should be, you know, it, it's the, the people that own the physical metals are, you know, will, will most likely be benefiting very well in the years to come. Are you familiar with Cliff High of Predictive Data Mining? Yes. He is calling for, if, if, whether you believe him or not, right, I'm, I'm just throwing it out there, he is calling mm -hmm. for a tremendous run in gold and silver, and actually more so silver than gold. Sure. So I, I, I don't, I'm familiar who he is. Um, him and a number of other people also, and I would agree. And Silver is more depressed in price than gold has been, and it's, it, it's a more manipulated metal. That's what it appears, right? The evidence seems to point to um, the ability to manipulate silver prices more, and that's doable because silver is actually a smaller market than gold, right? And it's just like stocks, right? A widely, a, you know, a, a stock with a big float, right, like Microsoft would be very difficult to manipulate versus a thinly traded, mm. right? Mm. Yeah. So, be, so yeah. being that silver is a smaller market, it's a little easier one to interfere. I'll call it price interference. Now, as I said, the trend is still in place, and silver is always more volatile than gold. So when silver does break out, even though it's been more volatile to the downside during that bear market period, it's probably going to be more volatile to the upside and will outdo gold. Um, and I'll just go back to the PMC ounce. The beauty of the PMC ounce is that it's for precious metals. It's logically weighted. So we, you know, the weighting between gold, silver, platinum, palladium is logical as far as you know what we believe. And the metals don't move in lockstep. And a lot of people don't realize in the last three years the precious metal that's done the best is palladium. I mean, palladium was up 52% last year, and silver was up 4%. So really, except for people that own the PMC ounce, very few investors have had any position in platinum and palladium, which the PMC ounce holders have. And right now, platinum is doing quite well. And as we speak today, Teresa, if you look, and here's the logic of the PMC ounce, gold and silver are basically flat to down a little bit today, and platinum and palladium are up very healthy. And since you can't market time, you know, the PMC ounce, um, you know, basically gives that nice turnkey diversified blended return. And there's much less talk about price interference with platinum and palladium um, because the whole world is focused on gold and silver. So your PMC ounce investment vehicle is that, where is that, how is that traded? What is, sure, that's that traded. Work? It's great. It trades real time. It's a very, um, as you buy and sell, and as I said, the buy and sell is based in real time. There's a allocated inventory of physical precious metals, all in what they call good delivery bars or, or what they call LBMA, ICE, IMEX approved uh, bars in an independent non-bank depository. And based on how many PMC ounces you buy, the appropriate amount of gold, silver, platinum, palladium that backs it up is then assigned in, the, in your name, the client's name, at the depository level. And there's no delays in buying and sell, selling. It trades in real time. It's all physical metal that's there. It's not a fund. It's not an ETF. You basically, there's a storage account that the clients, uh, the, the metal that backs up the PMC ounce is in. And because it's so unique that it gives you the ease of trade like a fund, but the ownership of actually owning physical metal, the PMC ounce got a patent in 2013 uh, as an investment product. Can I ever take delivery on it if I choose to? Great question, Teresa, and yes, you can. We actually even have a, a tab on our site called uh, Volt Account Conversions, and it shows you that since all the metal is there, we have the option, the person could say, look, I think the world is in such a state that I want to convert and you can convert to uh, bars for delivery. And, you know, it's even down to small bars, like one-ounce bars and 10-ounce bars for gold and, and, you know, the normally available bars for silver, platinum, and palladium. Very interesting. Okay. Very good. So, 
we tried to cover all bases, uh, Teresa. Right? We did for that. We, we wanted diversification, right, because diversification is always what's recommended. We wanted the ease of trade. We wanted actual physical metal to be there. And we, always, and we wanted to give the option for distribution of the actual physical. So we worked hard to really develop this product. And, you know, there's a number of very respected analysts that uh, are, spend a lot of time focused on the precious metals who have been big advocates and, and very bullish on, on the PMC ounce uh, because of our, you know, delivery of all those characteristics. So what are your thoughts on the various forms of so-called paper gold or paper silver investments like the ETFs and the futures and the unallocated gold contracts that are out there? Sure. Um, when I hear unallocated, that's something I definitely want to steer away from. Uh, because agree. unallocated basically means that who's ever issuing that to you, they didn't have to go out and buy it and they're not storing it. They're basically, it's like an, it's basically an IOU, right? And, um, you know, and maybe they do it by buying a, a futures contract, um, which is going to reflect, which when you're dealing in paper gold, you're really talking about you're buying something that is tracking the price of the metal as opposed to actually buying the metal and putting it aside and storing it safely. So even though those vehicles could be very nice for short-term trading and someone who wants to buy and sell on a daily or, you know, weekly basis, um, you know, it's, that those are fine. You are playing a game of musical chairs because if you get another event like 2008-9 when the markets, you know, you have a financial event, you know, those, those may not be there for you. And you can get cashed out at the previous day's prices. If you read the prospectuses and the rules that govern a lot of these investments, you'll see there's all sorts of outs for the issuer. Um, mm -hmm. Like if the market if the market breaks, they cash you out at the previous day's price. Um, all sorts of things like that. That if you're truly looking for a store of wealth and to preserve your wealth by precious metals, that those investments, though they may seem convenient, really um, may not deliver what you need when you need it. Well said, and couldn't agree more. If you're going to, I believe, if you are going to invest in the metals actually own the metal, not the paper, because the paper is worth what the ink is, is printed exactly. on, right? It's exactly. You're, going, you got you're going into a long contractual relationship based on a, 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 you know, a securitized product with all the risk, you know, the exchange risk that goes with it. You know, Teresa, exactly. I, I always like to put it this way. The unique things about the precious metals are that you can actually own them. I mean, even other commodities, it isn't realistic about owning them, right? So if you believe in the oil market, right, you really, you can't build a silo in your backyard, right, and, and put thousands of gallons of oil, right? It just doesn't lend itself. So you're kind of forced to use, you know, the, the futures market or buy shares in a, in a fund or something. Um, same thing with the other types of commodities. But the precious metals are these so unique that you can actually be the direct owner, why would you give that up and use a securitized option, you know, or, or vehicle? So that's, you know, that's my feeling. I think we're both on the same page there. Agreed. Absolutely, completely. All right, so let's just a little bit towards the, the crypto talk. Yes. So share a little bit about your background and how you got involved with the digital coin. Sure. So digital currencies now, um, kind of, you, there's so much talk and you can say in the last year or so, digital currencies like Bitcoin has stolen a little bit of the thunder of the precious metals, right? And it's true, right? Because there's a lot, you know, everyone's very enamored by the rise of the Bitcoin. And being in this industry, I think you really have to understand what this so-called, you know, option is for investors. And what's interesting about digital currency is, as I mentioned before, a lot of them have been outright failures. Um, and that, of course, is, uh, is, not, is not talked about much because they don't want to diminish the, uh, a lot of the promoters of cryptocurrency. Um, but even with Bitcoin, you know, a couple things. It is, they talk about blockchain, right? The blockchain is how Bitcoin is transacted and such. 
But people forget it is still software. You know, they, I think a lot of people believe it's something magical and unique, and it's not. And we know that several months ago, Bitcoin had a scaling issue, which if anyone understands software, you know, software sometimes doesn't scale, meaning, you know, it got so big, the amount of, you know, what it's recording and tracking and performing, it can't handle. And Bitcoin hit that fork in the road, and they talked about that, and then Bitcoin went in two different directions. So people have to ask themselves, if Bitcoin is still relying on software, don't kid yourself that it's not going to always have the same issues that crop up with software. And even a couple months ago when Bitcoin was quote-unquote upgraded to handle its scaling issue, no one's asking basic questions like, well, who are the people that upgraded the software? You know, how are you going to be able to trust these people? So all these things are conveniently dismissed because people are blinded by the rise. And all I have to say is, you know, be logical, right? Don't get too caught up and not ask important questions like that. And, I, so, you know, I believe there's risk. Absolutely. And there are tons and tons and tons of ICOs. Every single day there's a new ICO, right? And yes. uh, there's, in fact, companies now that, uh, you know, very similar to the gold rush with the dot-com, right, in the early um, 2000s, anything, any company that put dot-com after their name, their market cap swelled. Like there was so much interest because it was a dot-com. It's the same thing, I think, with the coins, what's going on. There was a, a tea company or a lemonade company that had blockchain in its name, and the value of the stock went up crazy because they had blockchain in their name, right? And so um, right now I think we're in that wild, wild, wild west of, of crypto and the ICOs. Talk a little bit about, you know, the, the, how an ICO comes into existence. What are the regulations? Are there any regulations? Can anybody set up an ICO? Like what exactly is involved in an ICO. Sure. So you brought up a couple of very important things to people to remember. So there's currently these ICOs, there is no regulation, right? They're falling outside of the SEC and the CFTC and any other regulatory body. So it is a wild west that as insane as it was in, two, in 1999 and 2000, and you and I both remember what it was like. Remember companies like Pets.com? And, you know, people would bid up a stock of a company that somehow was going to operate as a pet store online. And no one was asking simple questions like, is it really feasible to be shipping, you know, cats and dogs? Or isn't it still easier just to go to the store? Um, you know, it sounds silly, but no one wanted to, you know, everyone's like just driving the price up because they had .com in their name. And, of course, that's an example of a stock that failed miserably once the bubble burst. Now, even back then, those companies still were doing more what you would call traditional um, offerings, right, an IPO, still having to meet certain regulations that the SEC would put out. And even with those regulations and, and that sort of structure, you had, you know, things that really turned out to be just foolish and, you know, that went to zero. Well, it's way more with the, with the ICOs because there are no regulatory bodies. There is no controls on who the individuals offering uh, these things. And the reason a lot of these ICOs fail is because they come out and, you know, their software or their systems just outright don't fail, don't work. And there you could say it's a more honest failure. Uh, it's still not acceptable, really, in my eyes. And then others are, some of them are just outright frauds. And there's no one there to govern it. You are just taking your chances. So, um you know, that's why I think some people just keep bidding up Bitcoin because they feel that's a legitimate one, and I guess it is, um, but it's very risky with these other ICOs. And I don't even think there's anyone out there who is serving as a analyst to basically tell you this, this ICO is legitimate and their software and their platform works and which ones aren't. You are just taking your chances. So what do you think about the the younger generations that are coming to this world of investing, right? And they grew up 
in the digital world. They grew up with, uh, you know, an iPad and the iPhone, and digital world doesn't scare them or concern them. And they're also very distrustful of regulatory agencies and very distrustful of the government and really want a decentralized world. They don't want to be told what to do, and they don't want to be told what's safe or not until they're burned, right? When they're burned, then they're victim. <laughs> and their victim stuff comes out, right? But that generation or the younger generations are very, very comfortable living in the digital world. So do you, uh-huh. Go ahead. don't you see this whole movement towards this decentralized wild west I think the points are valid, and but here's what they need to be concerned with. I believe the younger generation, they're very comfortable with technology, but they can also be complacent and overly trusting. I definitely understand the skepticism toward the established institutions because being that I believe so highly in physical precious metals and owning them, that pretty much should be proof that I have questions on things that are securitized. Um, so I don't believe that something that's regulated by the SEC guarantee, you know, tells you that it's good, fair, and valid because there's manipulation on, in all industries and a lot of regulatory bodies fail to really protect individual mm-hmm. investors or do what's in their best interest. Mm-hmm. And I think in theory, in theory, decentralized digital money that would truly be able to operate outside, we'll call it the the systems in place now, which I believe are totally manipulated to the detriment of the individual. Like the, the, the Federal Reserve does not, I don't think its policy is for the benefit of the individual. So something that could operate outside of their system would be beneficial. But the problem is there are always charlatans and people can use that distrust that people have for the institutions to kind of also take advantage of people looking for an alternative. So you mm-hmm. have to still be diligent, right? All because mm-hmm. a digital currency is not being regulated by the established institutions. Don't go overboard and think that automatically makes it more valid, honest, and safe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Makes perfect sense. So talk about, let's talk about Bitcoin, right? The yep. most famous cryptocurrency of all. And at this point has made many people very wealthy, at least in coins, right? Maybe not uh, in coin value, Bitcoin value, not in what we would recognize as a hard asset. Sure. So what is your theory on who the um, original founder is? Um, and I forget how to pronounce his name. Uh, um, I'm yes. Sure you, you... I, don't try, I know who you're talking about. It's, uh, yes, uh, and it, you know, it slips my Natoshi mind. Natoshi Nakamoto. Yes, yeah, there you go. Well, I, know, I think I know where you're going with this question. I, that's another thing that doesn't sit well with me. The fact that this whole idea of who the developer or creator of it is still kind of questionable. Um, You know, from what I hear, and tell me if it comes off different to you, that this fellow developed Bitcoin and put it out there and really kind of wants to stay private and doesn't want to really kind of own up to being the true, you know, developer and creator of it, which I find amazing. Um, that if you really were the person that created probably the the most dynamic and hot commodity right now in the world, that you would want to be so secretive and not, you know, getting the proper recognition. I think that's a little odd. You know, I don't see that anywhere else in the world of technology. You know, look at all the people in Silicon Valley. They they love to take credit for their for their creations. I mm-hmm. just find it a little bit sketchy, and to me when things aren't completely above board and, and, and transparent, I have an issue personally with putting my money into it, regardless of whether the price is going up. Because I also know the price is going up only because 
someone else is willing to pay a little bit more for it. There are zero fundamentals, truly, that says Bitcoin should be at the price it is. Now, I'm not disputing that it may go up to $100,000 or more because if people are willing to pay more for it, you know, buy it from me or you at a higher price, you know, they're willing to do it. That says, okay, people are willing to do it. But there is absolutely nothing tangible there. And if something like Bitcoin was to start to drop, there is no floor that says it, that will stop it. Meaning you can get a, a stock of a truly legitimate company that gets overbought. But at the end, and if that price starts to drop, there really is eventually a fair market price, right? As long as the company is legitimate and has true sales and all that. There is, there is a floor there. Um, there isn't with Bitcoin. There is nothing that says, well, at some point it would be truly oversold and the price would, would not go below this point. Um, you know, it's all just based on what the next person is willing to pay, and that's it. So I, I agree with you. Uh, I, you said so much that I can address. Number one, um, for you, the audience, if you haven't seen the documentary Netflix, Banking on Bitcoin, you should. It was very well done and very, very interesting. For the philosophy around Bitcoin being about transparency and it being decentralized, so to speak, um, having a currency away from the governments, etc., and having the originator, you know, um, not come forward and say who, who he is, to me is like a sketchy is a great, a great word to use, a great phrase. It's like, are you kidding me? It's got all the makings of a great conspiracy. And I've read about those conspiracies. I've read about the, the different ideas that are out there, that it's really the CIA who created the technology uh, for whatever nefarious reasons they've got. Um, and it's really a group of narcos who created the technology so that they can launder money and, you know, have their black market. Um, who knows? I have no idea. But really, like, he can't admit who he is and take out that mystery. I, I think that's really, really, really funny. And the, so for those of you that aren't aware, the, those are a couple conspiracy theories. There's others that um, Satoshi uh, is actually the name of a group of individuals who developed Bitcoin. It's not even one person. Um, who knows? I don't know. But um, I, I find that fascinating and interesting and very intriguing and doesn't leave for a lot of transparency and trust when philosophically that's what it was all about to start with, right? That's why he supposedly came up with Bitcoin. Yeah, and, exact, and I'll also add, I, I said it before, is the ongoing development. Being that it's software and it's already needed additional development as it hit certain scaling issues, well, who are these people that are developing it, right? I mean, who, who are you trusting in and that they'll do the right thing? And isn't that a little bit naive to believe that there's some sort of legion of selfless developers who are just going to go out there and, you know, continue to keep maintain a product and help it continue to develop so that it um, always serves individual investors? That's a little bit, I think, a little naive. Um, you know, also developing something as robust and as massive as a Bitcoin would take tremendous resources. This isn't something you can do in your basement. So who has those resources for doing the test and development of something like Bitcoin? And when people don't want to ask that question, you know, that to me means that's a bubble. Um, also, I think you brought up a great point. A lot of people think Bitcoin is their transactions are anonymous. I don't know if I agree with that. They think that you know, the government doesn't know about your transactions. I don't know how they can be so sure of that because they don't even understand the true compute power of what the government can, can see. Um, and also, we've known lots of Bitcoins have been stolen. And when I say lots, I'm not talking about hundreds. I'm talking about hundreds of thousands. And they get stolen from these Bitcoin exchanges. And there's no recourse. And if your Bitcoins are stolen, they're gone. 
and it happens all the time. And you don't hear much press about that because, again, that's so, you know, like any bubble, negatives are always downplayed, right? Teresa, remember at the end of the dot-com bubble, you know, there's a few voices that were saying, this is bubble, this is a bubble. Um, and they were being, you know, being dismissed. And I don't see an important thing that people forget is all because you could be concerned or have some skepticism doesn't mean you're saying the technology is going away. I mean, the great example is the dot-com bubble. The Internet is bigger now than it was in 2000 when the dot-com bubble burst. But that didn't mean all because you had dot-com if your name, your company was viable. So it's the same thing with crypto. Blockchain technology is not going to go away and it's going to manifest itself in different ways going forward. So I'm not saying blockchain, but it doesn't mean Bitcoin is worth $15,000 or if it goes to 100. That's two different conversations. And I think people don't separate the two. And they think, oh no, if you don't believe in Bitcoin, you don't believe in blockchain, and I think blockchain is, is here to stay. Well, I think blockchain is here to stay too. But it doesn't mean Bitcoin's worth $100,000. Agreed on, on all points. Now, what I do believe for those who can and the kind of financial strategic work that I do with clients is all about building a very solid foundation from a financial perspective, really with no risk, right? We, we do that first, and then we build on risk if it's appropriate. And if, uh, today, every day, uh, a year ago, Never had a client talk to me about Bitcoin, ever. Didn't hear about it. Today, every client I talk to is asking me my opinion on Bitcoin, which is fascinating, right? And so today, I do have some clients who they've got their foundation from a financial perspective. They can risk a portion of their money in crypto if they want to, right? It's the same thing if they want to go to Vegas, if they want to play the lottery, knowing that it may or may not work out for them. I have no problems with that. I have no problems with people uh, participating in the exchanges, participating in the experiences, understanding how it works. Until you actually buy the Bitcoin, it is something that you really quite, uh, can't quite grasp. There's a whole language around it. There's a whole conversation. And I'm all about being, uh, at least for me, being an early adopter, understanding how things work. I think it's my job. It's, I think it's what I bring to my clients, right, to understand new technology and the investments that are out there so that I can explain it and help my clients be strategic with it. And so... If you, until you actually participate, right, until you actually got online, right, back in the mid-90s, I think AOL was the first gateway to the Internet, until you actually got online, you really couldn't understand the Internet. And I think that's the same thing with crypto. Unless you actually buy a piece of a, of a coin, right, or a whole Bitcoin or any of the cryptos, you can't quite understand the experience and really how scary it is and how stressful it is when you've got money um, in a wallet and if you lose the passcode and you lose the brain key, you're out. No one can save you. Every point you made, I, I concur with 100%. There, and I won't dispute that some big money can be made in the cryptos. And, but it's highly speculative, and to your point, it's really something that should be ventured, ventured into once you've truly established a firm financial position and you have some of those funds that you can allocate toward high-risk investments. Now, unfortunately, I hear, because we actually get called, and because we're in the gold market, you know, people ask us if we also make, sell cryptocurrencies. You know, they see, I guess they feel there's a, there's a commonality. And we can tell by speaking with some of these people, these are not people who are well-heeled or, you know, in a very firm financial position. They're more looking for like that one big grand slam. You know, gambling. It's pure gambling. And that, unfortunately, is, um, is risky. And, 
you know, and, and they, a lot of these people will gravitate to the ICOs because the ICO comes out and it's so cheap per coin, right? Now you're back into the dollar or sub-dollar market where they don't have the money to buy a full Bitcoin. So um, unfortunately, that's what happens, right? You, you get a lot of people who really don't meet the financial criteria to be taking the kind of risk they are, and they're really looking to make a grand slam. And, um, you know, that's unfortunate. I'm sure you hear that too or see that also. I, I do. And so that's why my recommendation is if, if you don't have a firm foundation, you know what, you have a couple thousand dollars you want to blow, just like you would to Vegas, go for it, right? Mm -hmm. Be part of the conversation. Just don't take equity out of your house or sell your car to invest in crypto. And for my clients that do have the solid foundation, you want a percentage of your money in crypto? Be strategic. Learn. Get advice. Just like any other investment that you don't understand. No yeah, and you know what you said, one of the cornerstones of any investment, it's always risky to invest in something you really don't understand. And what's challenging about cryptocurrencies, your point, you're never going to get a real feel for it unless you actually buy one and see how these exchanges work. But even further than that, the true technology that's underlying, people are banding about the words, right? They're using distributed ledger and distributed database and blockchain, and they're using the buzzwords, but very few people even understand what that is. And that's risky. And you know, when you don't understand, you can get caught up in believing something is something that it's not, that it's more magical, more robust. You know, there's someone overseeing it who's always going to make sure it works you know, with your best interest in mind. And that's dangerous, you know, in my opinion. Agreed. Totally. So if somebody was to invest, right, um, for those who can, how would your understanding of the markets, how would you or what would you recommend they do to protect their investment? Is it working with a wallet? Is it working with uh, – and I don't, I don't really know that there are advisors out there set up yet uh, to, to help – other uh, investors, and, and I've heard that there's some some companies that are looking to, to get set up, right, to invest for others, which is um, probably very similar to somebody holding your, your paper, uh, your gold, right, but you, all you get is a paper. So what advice would you give these investors today as they're navigating to this world? Sure. I mean, my, my world is really the physical market, so I'm more – I mean, you know, you and I are on the same page as far as, so I couldn't advise as how you can do your due diligence. And unfortunately, mm -hmm. there's a couple things. I'm, you know, because there's interest, there's always money to be made, and there's a lot of people that are probably setting themselves up or, or proclaiming to be experts and, you know, consultants on how to invest in crypto. You know, again, the challenge is it's a totally unregulated environment. And even the regulations about will this eventually fall under the SEC haven't been finalized. So you could be getting involved in and setting yourself up for a future problem. You know, a good example, uh, Teresa, is you know, a lot of people think that because Bitcoin transactions or crypto transactions are supposedly anonymous, that if they've made gains in them, that they're not reporting those gains. I mean, that's mm. what we hear because they feel, well, there's no 1099B or anything being submitted, right? It's not like you made your capital gains at your broker. Um, and they may be, they may feel that they don't have to be concerned with that. And if that's the case, and we believe there's a lot of people that do have that position, they could be setting themselves up for future trouble, right? Because all because the crypto, it doesn't mean you're not obligated to pay your capital gains. Um, so, you know, there's, because it's unregulated, because it's the Wild West, and it truly is the Wild West, and I think it's way more wild than the, than the dot-coms, um, who do you trust, right? You, so the individual is really going to have to do a lot of their own due diligence. I don't think there are people out there who are established 
that you can say with a relatively high degree of confidence that they can be a true advisor in that space. I just don't think they exist yet. Hmm. Well, there are some who have been following crypto since um, 2013, 2014, and have been investing and have been in the conversation for a long time. Uh, and so I'm, I'm aware of a few of those. Uh, and I, I don't know that I would call them experts or advisors, but in the world of the land of the blind, right? The one-eyed man is king, and, yeah. and I think that's true um, in this crypto world. Uh, to address the tax issue, it's hilarious that people think they, the IRS isn't going to want to collect on their gains. Uh, just because there's not a 1099 being issued, not yet anyways, doesn't mean that the IRS doesn't expect to be paid. Of course they do. Very interesting having these conversations with people. And um, end of last year, I had a, a client mention to me that because they were trading with different coins, it was like the real estate-like kind exchanges, right? Yep. It was going to be treated the same way. And yep. I did some quick research online and found many references that said, oh, no, the IRS is not going to be treating crypto the same way. If you go from Bitcoin to BitShares, that, that triggers a taxable event. So uh, there are a lot of people out there that are just working under uh, false information. And when it comes to the IRS, I'm not a CPA, you're not a CPA, um, talk it over with your CPA, but be prepared to pay if you've got gains, unless you want to live uh, with a little bit of stress and a cloud hanging over you that the IRS is going to come after you. Yeah, I think it's a great... Yeah, I that's agree. That's the whole crypto world, right? A lot of, lot of people in that space really think they are not going to owe any taxes, that they are anonymous. Yes, and you know what? They're, they're using what they believe is their logic, and it's blinded by just being caught up and believing a lot of hype and not believe, and not being honest, meaning to your point, the IRS is always going to want their share. Um, so don't think anything. There's nothing out there that if you make a gain on that they don't want their share. And even to believe that a cryptocurrency is like a like kind, as you said, you know, I swap from Bitcoin to Ethereum or whatever, so therefore I don't have an event. Well, if a person was really using what I would call much more intelligent logic, if these are supposed to be digital currencies, that means they're separate currencies, Right. And that would be like if I was making money changing currencies between euros and dollars. Well, that's not a like-kind exchange. That's currency trading, right? And there's a taxable event. And I'm not a, I'm not a tax guy, but I'm just saying that my logic would be, you know, don't look and try to think that you've got all sorts of exemptions where there's no testing in the marketplace. And there is no testing. This hasn't been tested by the IRS in court, whether that's a like-kind exchange. So it's tremendously risky to make that determination on your own, in my opinion. Agreed. And I don't want to throw any cold water on, on the crypto world. It's, blockchain's here to stay. Crypto is here to stay. Uh, and it's something that we're all going to have to learn the conversation, the language. Um, Maybe, maybe not the older generations per se, but you know, it's going to be part of our dialogue. It already is, right? Look at the words that we're using today, the language that is becoming mainstream today that wasn't here two years ago. Absolutely, and I don't want to put, and I don't want anyone to misconstrue what I'm saying. As I said before, and you just said, blockchain is here to stay, and I said it will manifest itself in different ways it will be used to executing transactions and contracts, right? Because of the recording of each transaction and the building of one on top of the other. So that does, but that doesn't mean every sort of cryptocurrency that uses blockchain is going to be viable. Again, I'll use the, the exact example. The internet is bigger today now than it was in 2000, but all because you had an internet based company didn't mean you were going to guarantee to to be any good. And there's plenty of companies that were internet-based, like Pets.com, that folded because 
it doesn't work on the internet. It, it wasn't viable. But mm-hmm. that didn't mean the internet wasn't viable, right? So mm-hmm. the, again, people have to separate the two. Blockchain is not digital currency. Digital currency is just using the blockchain. Um, so separate the two. You know, one, digital currencies are highly speculative, and yes, some big money can be made, but truly buyer beware. And blockchain is separate, and, uh, and, and it's not going away. And it will manifest itself, and it's going to be widely used in many different ways. Um, but not everything that uses blockchain is automatically viable. So. Mm-hmm. Well said. So, Chris, let our audience know how to reach you directly. Sure. Um, I'd encourage you know, to learn about us. Again, we're a, we're a long-time full-service precious metals dealer. We, I'd encourage people to visit NeptuneGlobal.com. Uh, that's NeptuneGlobal.com. And you can learn a lot about us and the, the traditional bars and coins we deal in, but also learn a lot about the PMC ounce. We also have our uh, contact information on the site. So we, we encourage people to call with any questions. And uh, also you can email us at info at Neptune Global. And uh, if you have any questions, we encourage you to send them in. And we'd be happy to chat with anyone to see if we can assist them in the world of precious metals. Awesome, Chris. Well, thank you so much for being a guest here on Living Wealthy Radio. As always, we will post the show on the livingwealthyradio.com website. And look forward to connecting soon in the near future, Chris. Thank you so much, Teresa. It was a lot of fun. Great. Take care. You've been listening to Living Wealthy Radio, heard around the web on livingwealthyradio.com, iTunes, and Blog Talk Radio. Download or subscribe to our podcast to hear a new show every week. I am Teresa Kuhn, and I hope you'll join me again next week as I show you ways to live wealthier. Resources are available for you on our website at livingwealthyradio.com. 